Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Peter Spiegel. We have a great show lined up for you today, so I hope you enjoy the entire hour with us. Please make sure to visit the website, animalstodayradio.com, and also subscribe on iTunes, where you can listen to a new show each week. Join us on Facebook as well, and join the discussion about all things related to animals, animalstodayradio.com. We're going to start the show off today with a discussion about the use and limitations of non-human animals in testing for pharmaceutical development for human drugs. And, you know, earlier this year, uh, there was a study that was shut down by the FDA, the Seattle-based CTI Biopharma's clinical trial of a blood cancer drug that was being tested to treat myelofibrosis. That's the condition that killed Carl Sagan, by the way. This trial was shut down after patients died from cardiac arrest and bleeding, intracranial bleeding. And remember, a few months earlier this year in France, another trial led to the death of one man and five others hospitalized with serious shutdown of their organs after taking place in a different uh, clinical trial. I now want to welcome Elizabeth Baker, who is an attorney, and she serves as Senior Science Policy Specialist at Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thanks so much. I'm really glad to be here to speak with you today. Elizabeth, I thought we would start with you uh, describing to us, please, uh, the recent uh, U.S. case where a a study was uh, halted due to uh, patient deaths. Okay, great. So in in February of 2016, the FDA had to halt a phase three clinical trial due to multiple patient deaths. And the drug had previously been tested in mice, rats, and dogs. And the effects that were seen in humans, which are bleeding of the brain and cardiac arrest, were not seen in the animal test. And uh, just earlier, there was a study halted in France. What happened in that one? That's correct. It was a similar situation, although this was a phase one clinical trial in France. And this left one man dead. Several others were hospitalized and ended up with brain damage. And in this situation, the drug had previously been tested in mice, rats, dogs, and chimpanzees. And the company was just shocked by the adverse effects of the, of the drug because they had given animals doses up to 400 times stronger than the dose that was given to humans. So when the humans had the adverse reactions and one man died, it was unprecedented and the company was shocked. So we could talk about the uh, logical fallacy that they were employing perhaps later, but there is a theme here, and the the underlying theme is the problems in the use of non-human animals to predict what's going to happen when you deploy a substance into people. That's correct. There are a lot of differences among species, and animals are different than humans, and animal species are different from other animal species. We have physiological differences that cause us to react, process, and metabolize these potential medicines differently, Um, and and that's what led to these adverse effects um, in the clinical drug trials. And one of the biggest uh, 
examples of what can happen is the case of Vioxx, which killed a lot of people. That's correct. Vioxx killed killed over 100,000 people, and Vioxx was tested in rats and beagles, and we just did not see those adverse effects. Okay, so how did we get to this place where we are relying upon an imperfect model? Well, we began relying on animals in drug testing in the 60s, and we really have remained there. And it's unfortunate because there are existing technologies that are based on human biology. There's many more emerging, and there is opportunity for others. But um, these technologies are not used because FDA requires animal testing in many instances. And PCRM, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, we have had uh, many representatives from PCRM over the years, and we uh, follow them carefully and uh, admire their work and support the work. What's the position of PCRM regarding this? Well, our position is that we need to educate, we need to collaborate, and bring together all the stakeholders to make sure that we are moving this forward. We need to ensure that resources are allocated to the 21st century technologies so we're not funding the development, uh, or we're not funding animal studies. We want to fund the development of the human biology-based methods. We also are working on law and policy to ensure that the existing methods can be used. Um, so we are working with with Congress on legislation. We work with FDA to advance their regulations and their policies. We're also working with a lot of stakeholders to reform the way that new methods are evaluated, and we're developing training programs for industry scientists and FDA reviewers themselves to help them get comfortable with the modern technologies. And then we also advise companies as they navigate FDA policies to help them use the non-animal tests when they can. I'm glad you used the word stakeholder because there is a huge industry based on using animals for this sort of research, isn't there? A lot of money involved. Absolutely. There is a lot of money involved. It's a a big industry. um, But the exciting thing is there are a lot of companies that exist and that are coming of age that are dedicated to bringing 21st century cures to market and, um, and doing that through predictive technologies. Now, one of the technologies that's being developed that's going to allow this to happen, people refer to as organs on chips. Tell us about that. So organs on chips, this is a very, very exciting technology. Essentially, they are small chips that you can hold in your hand. They contain human cells, and they contain fluids, and they mimic human physiological response. So if you have a liver on a chip, it will act as though a human liver acts. And then there's also systems that are being developed to link together all of these organs on chips. And a lot of tech companies must be looking at this as a possible activity. It seems so exciting with just a tremendous amount of growth possible. Absolutely. So academia is working on this. Private industry is as well. 
And even the government has been giving this a lot of attention and been funding research in this area. Okay, well, it's an exciting time, um, Elizabeth. What can listeners do if they want to move this along? Uh, We're tired of animals being killed needlessly. We're tired of people suffering needlessly. And it's about time we really push things along. I agree with you. And so the Physicians Committee is working very hard to develop and maintain relationships with stakeholders. And sometimes we need the help of our members and the public to move things along. So I suggest that if your listeners can go to pcrm.org, which is our website, become a member, sign up for, for our emails. And when we need help with a specific action, you'll receive an email. The other thing is we are very active on social media. So if you follow us on Facebook or on Twitter, you can help keep yourself educated because we, we, we let people know when there's exciting new technologies, when there's new advances in the law in this field. And then lastly, and, and possibly most importantly, is to educate our network. So we all have a network of people we care about, our family, our friends, our coworkers, and the people who we care about and who we want to have safe and effective medicines if they were to need them. So these are the people we want to educate so we can shift the public idea that animal testing is maybe okay if it helps humans, because we know that the animal tests don't translate to human effects, they mislead research, and they use resources that could otherwise be allocated for research on human, on human biology-based methods. And in the end, it's not just the animals who pay, it's the humans that pay as, as well. We lack safe and effective drugs Um, and we end up with harsh side effects. Very well stated. Thank you, Elizabeth Baker. Elizabeth is with PCRM, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Once again, thanks for bringing us this important information. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk today. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for a serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. 
For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. Actually, it's our 350th edition of Let's Be Fair. So after more than six years of looking at America's legal system, let's do something a little different. Let's look at the legal situation in another economic power, Japan. The Wall Street Journal reports that Japan is struggling with a very unusual problem. It says, and I quote, its people aren't litigious enough, end of quote. That's right. Some Japanese experts actually think they need more lawsuits. Why? Well, 15 years ago, officials there started using law schools in the United States as a model for educating their lawyers. They were able to recruit more students, but public attitudes on suing one another didn't change. Japanese people like resolving conflicts privately, so now they have a lot of lawyers with nothing to do. Let's be fair. Is that really a problem? Here in the U.S., it was once reported that we have 30 times more lawsuits per person than Japan. Now that's a litigation problem. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. How do we attain peace? It's your country, and I'm Lieutenant Colonel Retired Alan West, Executive Director of the National Center for Policy Analysis. In a chaotic world where global security is threatened, how do we find peace? Does it come from creating a false reality that fits a certain political ideology? History has proven that any attempt to compromise, appease, or legitimize an enemy only serves to embolden them. It appears as weakness and gives them a sense of strength and superiority. Hello, I'm Jerry Mathers. I was the beaver in Leave it to Beaver. When I played the beaver on TV, I often got into trouble without even meaning to. Well, years later, after I left Hollywood, I got into real trouble. My blood sugar was through the roof. When I was diagnosed with type 2, I was shocked. Now, the very same natural remedies I use to control my type 2 diabetes are available for you in a super easy program called the Diabetes Solution Kit. If you have diabetes, I urge you to try this step-by-step plan. It has all the natural techniques I used, and it works a lot faster, too. And today, you can try this fast and easy solution without risk. I'm Jerry Mathers, and if I can do it, you can do it, too. If you'd like to normalize your blood sugar and stop taking your diabetes medication completely with your doctor's approval, go to jerrymathers33.com for your free video. That's jerrymathers33.com. Reverse your diabetes in as little as 30 days by going to jerrymathers33.com now. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. So, Lori, I asked some of my followers on the app SpeakBeat about their opinions about zoos. You want to hear how that went? Okay. So, uh, you know, I went to uh, SpeakBeat.com and you download the app and uh, listeners uh, follow me at Peter Spiegel so you can participate in some of these animal related questions. Which of these statements about zoos do you most agree with? Okay. Here are the answers that I wrote. First one, zoos are great places to educate kids about animals. Second one, zoos help animals by protecting endangered species. Third, I avoid zoos 
Animals in zoos are like prisoners. It's not right. And the last choice, I love to see exotic animals up close. So what do you think was the choice that got the most votes? Well, I would hope people think that zoos are like prisons. Well, of my followers, uh, that got 36% uh, respondents, and that was tied for the first place along with the answer, zoos are great places to educate kids about animals. Oh, no. The one answer, zoos help animals by protecting endangered species. Uh, We're very skeptical about that. That got 16%, and I love to see exotic animals up close. That got 12%. Okay, so obviously there's still a lot of people out there that feel that zoos are a great place to educate kids. Unfortunately, I disagree strongly with the educational message they are sending to our children. Yes, we know, Lori. Okay. What else you have for us? Okay, I asked, which animal feat is most amazing? One, fastest bird, peregrine falcon, 240 miles per hour. Two, longest whale, blue whale, 111 feet. Three... Fastest land animal, cheetah, 61 miles per hour. Four, longest snake, python, 25 feet, 2 inches. And five, oldest animal, tortoise, 183 years. Which one do you think got the most votes, Lori? You know, it's pretty impressive. A Parian falcon can fly 242 miles per hour. 240, right. And most people agreed with uh, that. 44% chose that as their answer. And it is quite amazing how quickly they can... uh, dive when needed. Uh, The oldest animal, tortoise, I thought that was pretty amazing, 183 years. That got 28% of the answers. And uh, fastest land animal, cheetah, 61 miles per hour, the others, small percentage. And you got one more for us, right? That's right. This one is maybe a little silly. Okay. So I asked my followers on SpeakBeat, which dog behavior is the worst? Ah. Sniffing butts, eating poop, Humping other animals or people or tail chasing. Which one do you think is the worst dog behavior, Lori? Well, many times when dogs chase their tail, there's a medical reason behind this behavior. In terms of dogs sniffing other dogs' butts, that's Yeah, yeah, just, they just do that. Yeah, they do that. Okay, I can't really get bothered about that. Uh, eating poop, That I will tell you, that was the biggest answer. Yeah, 80% of people said that. Yeah, that's pretty disgusting. That's pretty 80%, gross. wow. Yeah. Yeah, our dogs eat our cats poop yes that's delightful uh and then humping other animals or people 20 percent chose that one that's uh okay that's, slightly amusing and a little bit annoying to uh, me not okay. terrible that's that's sort of innate the humping thing okay okay so we're using uh the mobile app speak beat and you can download that app and you will be presented with many interesting uh questions that you can answer about all elements of a culture college politics And you can write your own or just answer the questions and share them with your friends. Uh, We like it to quiz everybody about animals. And you'll hear some more of these coming up soon. Major support for Animals Today Radio comes from International Society for Animal Rights. For decades, ISAR has been a world leader in the battle against dog and cat overpopulation and its moral, social, and economic costs. Please visit their website at www.isaronline.org. I want to welcome back Charlie Richter, who is U.S. Director of Apopo, and previously we spoke with him about the use of these cute African giant pouched rats to detect hidden landmines. It's a huge problem, and we didn't have a chance to really talk about the other amazing job that these rats are doing in detecting tuberculosis in the sputum of uh, suspected 
people with tuberculosis, and it's really an amazing thing. Hi, Charlie. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me back. You're welcome. Okay, so we've got these rats, and you are training them to detect tuberculosis bacilli in sputum. Is that right? Correct. So the traditional way um, in developing high-burden countries, uh, mainly in sub-Saharan Africa and Asia, to detect tuberculosis is through sputum that is examined under a microscope. And they're actually looking for bacteria, the presence of bacteria under the microscope. Um, But it's very hard to often see that. And that's why they miss about 50% of the samples. Mm -hmm. But it's also the samples that are the status quo to be collected. Um, So that we take advantage of that and the rats detect the, the, the presence of um, bacteria or volatile organic co- compounds coming off from the bacteria in the sputum at a, at a more accurate level than, than human beings with microscopes and do it much, much, much faster, um, up to 50 times faster than a human using a microscope. So the speed and the in- increased sensitivity is, is their advantage. So you've got a, a trained rat, a, a humanely trained rat. And earlier you indicated that these are uh, very fortunate rats to be living this uh, life and they are trained to uh, detect it and a rat is put in a little laboratory and gets a chance to to crawl and walk along possible uh, samples. Correct. Yeah, we have a specially designed cage that allows us to present 10 sputum samples at a time. And if you go to uh, just Google YouTube, a Popo TV detection, um, you can watch videos of it live. But they essentially run over each sample and are, are trained to pause over samples. They sense the presence of TV in. Um, and you'll see how rapidly they can do it on videos. But again, it's 50 times faster than a human with a microscope. And uh, we work exclusively now in mega urban cities that have a big TV problem. So in Dar es Salaam and Maputo. Yeah. Um, and there's all similar cities to this all over the world that have a big TB problem because of growing slums. But because the rats are so fast, you can rescreen a, you can screen a whole city's samples uh, pool in one in, in less than two or three hours. That's um, incredible. And so that's a real advantage. It's, mm-hmm. it's and, it, and it makes it a really ideal solution for for big cities with lots of samples that can be uh, easily collected within a day and then and then screened by the rats. That's fascinating, Charlie Richter, U.S. Director of Apopo. Remind everyone of your website, please. Sure, it's uh, www.apopo.org, and there you can um, link to all our social media pages, sign up for our newsletter, and if you want to a, uh, adopt a virtual rat um, that you can gift to your friends and family or keep for yourself and learn a bit more about their training and how they work, um, that's also easy to access on the website. Thanks, Charlie. By the way, they're really cute, and there's a picture of you with one of them on your shoulder, and it's pretty pretty adorable, actually. So thanks, Charlie. Your Animals Say Fun Facts for the Day are about koalas. 
When early European settlers first encountered koalas in Australia, they thought the tree-climbing animals were bears or monkeys. Even today, people still incorrectly refer to koalas as koala bears. In fact, koalas, like kangaroos, are actually marsupials, which are also known as pouched mammals because the adult females have a marsupium, or pouch, where their young stay until fully developed. Koalas are only found in Australia, and they are one of that country's iconic symbols. Koalas have special physical characteristics that complement their tree-dwelling lifestyle including their two opposable digits to grip branches and depict the tasty eucalyptus leaves, their main form of nourishment. And these are your Animals Today fun facts for the day. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Waiting 30 minutes before swimming after eating is a medical myth. However, flying after diving can be a serious issue. I'm Greg the Dive Master, and I'll tell you why next. This scuba tip is brought to you by Dan, Divers Alert Network. Dan helps divers in need of medical emergency assistance with the Dan Hotline and is the most recognized and trusted organization worldwide in the fields of dive safety and emergency services, health, research, and education. Join Dan today by going to dan.org. Dan, your dive safety association. Flying after diving is hard to avoid. DCS, also known as the bends, is a risk but can be managed with forethought and planning. The depth and length of your dive and the rate of ascent back to the surface play a huge role. Quickly ascending to altitude in an airplane can exacerbate the issue. And that's why you should wait a minimum of 12 hours before flying after one dive and 18 hours after multiple dives. Dive into Dan.org for more info and to Scuba Radio to get the urge to submerge. Thanks for calling Consolidated Credit Counseling Services. Can I help you? I sure hope so. I'm in debt. 
Is it credit card bills? Yes, I have two credit cards that I'm making minimum payments on and another that I'm behind on. I owe about $5,000. What interest rates are you paying? Between 18 and 22%. At that rate, it'll take over 20 years to pay off. Wow. 20 years? What Consolidated Credit can do is work with your creditors to lower your payments and reduce or even eliminate your interest charges. You should be able to pay everything off in three or four years. What do I have to do? Just give me some details and get ready to celebrate your freedom from debt. We're Consolidated Credit. We're here to give you freedom from debt. Call now for your free consultation. If I had known it was this easy, I would have called years ago. Call 1-800-897-8374. 1-800-897-8374. That's 1-800-897-8374. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services Incorporated, 5701 West Sunlight Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Not a loan company, licensed by New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation, Maryland DM19, Oregon DM80031. Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tenoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tenoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tenoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life. Combat the ringing and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. 800-930-1669. Welcome back to Animals Today. A few years ago, our veterinarian advised us to begin giving our dogs preventative heartworm medication. As you know, we live in the Southern California desert, and it was explained to us that whereas in the past, heartworm was not an issue around here, more cases were being seen and the recommendations have been updated. So now every month the dogs get a little tablet to chew and an expensive little tablet, I must add. And before starting this medicine, we had to get them tested to make sure they did not have an active infection. So what exactly is heartworm and what do you need to know about it to keep your dogs and cats safe? Veterinarian Robert Reed is back with us. Dr. Reed is medical director at VCA Rancho Mirage Animal Hospital. Hey, Robert. Hi, Lori. Robert, nice to hear your voice. Thank you. You too. Robert, what is heartworm? Well, heartworm, of course, is a worm. Um, it mainly affects dogs. Um, unlike most of the worms we think of that might affect dogs, this one does not live in the intestine. It lives in the bloodstream. And as they mature in a the dog, they settle in the main arteries around the heart, so they cause heart disease. And most dogs that get heartworm disease will die from it. So how can we detect early infection, Robert? It's probably important to to recognize how heartworms are transmitted to dogs and what leads to the infection uh, to understand what we can do to prevent it and how we might manage it. Heartworms, of course, being a bloodborne disease, have to be inoculated by something like, in this case, a mosquito, that can carry the parasite from one dog who's infected to a dog who's not infected. 
And there are only certain types of mosquitoes that can do this because the parasite has to be transformed within the mosquito before it can become infected to another dog. And for this reason, some areas are going to be more problematic for heartworms than others because sometimes the mosquitoes are more prevalent that can carry heartworms. And, of course, those mosquitoes have to have a reservoir of dogs in the area that have heartworms. So you'll definitely see some variation in the frequency of heartworm disease in any given area. So to prevent dogs from developing heartworm disease, we recommend that they be tested to ensure that they don't currently carry the parasite and then go on a monthly tablet as a preventive to keep them from getting disease associated with heartworms. And it's kind of interesting how this works. It's not actually preventing the infestation of worms, but rather it's killing any worms that they do pick up. That's why it's only given once a month, so that anything that a dog has picked up in the previous month will still be killed or will be killed by the medication. The heartworm larva that circulates in the bloodstream is vulnerable to the medication for about 30 days. The medication doesn't actually stay in the system for 30 days. It stays there for one day and then it's gone. It just kills anything that a dog has picked up in the last month. Now, can cats get heartworm? Cats can get heartworm, yes. They're not the primary carriers, they're not the primary hosts for heartworm, and it's a little harder for them to get it. And it's really unusual for a cat to serve as a reservoir for infection. But cats can get heartworm, and they can suffer heartworm disease. In fact, in some cases, it's actually more severe in cats than it is in dogs. Robert, as I mentioned earlier, our dogs are now taking monthly preventive medicine. Should all dogs and cats be taking this? You know, I think so. Because the heartworm incidence varies by region, it's important to talk to your, your local veterinarian to, to know what the actual risk is. I don't think heartworm disease does any harm. And actually, I mean, heartworm prevention does any harm. But it actually, and it actually does protect against some other diseases. But not every area has a high risk for heartworms. And it's also important to keep in mind that risk levels can change over time. As, as mosquitoes are introduced into an area, as the population of infected dogs grows in an area, and sometimes when wildlife like coyotes become infected with uh, heartworm disease, they can serve as reservoirs as well, which can affect the frequency uh, or incidence of heartworm disease in a given area. Why do we have to test the dog before starting heartworm medication? That's a good question. Uh, Usually the main reason we test dogs is to see if they already have been affected by the worm because once they have it, it's not going to be affected by the medication. In other words, the preventive treatment does not get rid of the worm if it's been there for more than 30 days. So if a dog has heartworms that are in a mature stage, the medication that we use for prevention will not work. The treatment has to be done differently and it's much more involved in the prevention. If we didn't know that they had heartworms already and we put them on that medication, we might think we were protecting them when in reality they had a disease that was already developing that we were not addressing. Um, there's also a very slight risk that if a dog has heartworms in its system and you start them on a medication, you might cause some illness in them. But the main reason is to make sure that you don't overlook the fact that they already have heartworms 
and that you're not addressing it. What was the impact of the Katrina disaster on the prevalence of heartworm disease nationally? It's hard to say for sure, but you'd expect that certain areas that might have been lightly affected by heartworms could have had their incidence increase as a result of dogs from Louisiana or another similarly high area or high incidence area of heartworms were transferred into that area. So if a number of dogs came into an area that had heartworms and no one was used to having heartworms around and weren't using prevention, and a mosquito was present that present that could transmit the heartworms, then that would certainly increase the risk locally for dogs affected by those mosquitoes that had been exposed to the positive dog. So, Laura, you mentioned the effect that uh, the transporting Katrina dogs into an area might have um, on the incidence of heartworm disease, and that's an example of how the the risk of heartworm disease, the level of risk can evolve over time. Uh, For example, again, we have in Southern California recently learned that there are species of mosquito that that are not native to California that have been introduced from other countries and are capable of carrying heartworms. We have not previously had a large number of mosquitoes that could transmit heartworms to our dogs. Now we have a potential population of mosquitoes that's much larger than it used to be and our level of risk is expected to increase in the next few years, particularly if pet owners in our area are not becoming more aware of it and are not beginning to use the prevention more readily, more effectively. Do we see heartworm disease in other places around the world, such as areas where there are lots of mosquitoes, and I'm thinking Africa and South America? There are different types of heartworms, but certainly you can see heartworm disease in any area where the parasite exists and a mosquito that's capable of transmitting it is present as well. The heartworm disease that we deal with in the U.S. is fairly specifically for our hemisphere. Veterinarian Robert Reed, thank you so much. You're welcome. Hi, this is Lori. And it's Peter here. And make sure you check us out at AnimalsTodayRadio.com. AnimalsTodayRadio.com. And visit us on Facebook. And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's AnimalsTodayRadio.com. Thanks for listening. Peter, have you ever noticed how cats walk? When they walk, their left front legs move in tandem with their left back leg, and their right legs do the same. Okay, I guess I never thought about that. Isn't that interesting? Which is different than humans or dogs. I believe there are only two other animals that walk in this fashion. Do you want to guess? You mean outside the feline family? Yes. Mm. Uh, The tallest mammal in the world. The giraffe? Yeah. Oh, wow. You notice that? Picture in your head. The giraffe's left leg. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and the camels. Camels. And another interesting thing about our cat's locomotion patterns is that the cat will place his left back foot in exactly the same place as the left front foot just vacated. Now that is cool. That I like that factoid. Okay. <laughs> so you probably know we have a number of cats in the house and we've made a lot of accommodations over the years to keep our cats safe and happy, haven't we, Lori? We sure have. And uh, Ringo, who's a little devil, well, we learned that he is a little escape artist, and uh, he's figured out how to open doors that are actually closed. And we've got a lot of doors in the house that have these handles, 
and not knobs, but handles. And he would just leap up and grab it and the door would sort of pop open. And this was causing uh, really a lot of trouble because sometimes we want him away from some of the other cats. So we had to do another house modification. There are many of these around their house based upon cat behavior. And this one was me basically changing these handles out for doorknobs. So I'm not the most handy guy, but this was a project I was able to do. Although the paint never quite looks the same, you know? You gotta ignore the marks from the previous uh, handle. And Peter, we finally got to see him do it once, which is actually a funny little maneuver that he does. It really is, it really is cute. And it started, first we were hearing the sound, like, you know, you know, him, and we knew he was doing it, but we never caught him in the act. So he jumps up on the door handle. And sort of hangs a little bit off of it. Right. And he depresses it down, and then yeah. on his way down, on his descent, it's like he pushes the door open. I know, it's, it's really very smart. <laughs> little escape artist. So we've modified a lot of these uh, doorknobs around the house, but another cat-motivated house modification I have to say I'm more proud of is this one particular shelf. You like that one, Lori? Oh, yeah, the shelf that makes the cat look like he's floating in the air. That's right. So we've got this uh, big screen TV, and behind it is just a wall, and I installed a shelf that is just a hair below the top edge of this TV. So the TV's out from the wall, you know, about a foot or so, and the shelf uh, is just below the top edge, and the cats can climb up there. They go on the little speaker, and they go onto the shelf, and then they can just recline right there. And when from the seating position, it just looks like they're floating on top of the TV. It's really pretty pretty cool. It's a little warm back there, too. I think they like uh, the the warmth and uh, they like looking down on us. Peter, you know what an infinity pool is? Yes, I it do. sort of reminds me of an infinity pool. Oh, that's pool. right. There's more Animals Today coming up right after the break. Every Monday morning, 75 million music fans worldwide receive Discover Weekly, a two-hour personalized playlist of songs from Spotify, the streaming music service. Through a combination of finely honed algorithms and human curation, Spotify delivers a playlist that matches each listener's personal preferences. Spotify trends expert Shannon Cook. Spotify's Discover Weekly finds music that you will love, whether it was recorded 40 years ago or just last month. Our technology is so advanced, if a musician is doing something only 20 people in the world will appreciate, we will find those 20 people. Discover Weekly has been so successful that Spotify recently launched Fresh Finds. Each Wednesday, Fresh Finds serves up songs from undiscovered bands poised to capture the world's interest. Spotify gives you the best listening experience possible, whether that's finding new artists you love or suggesting songs that fit your personal music tastes. We've got you covered. For more information about Spotify's Discover Weekly and Fresh Finds, go to Spotify.com. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. This report is brought to you by Mayflower. Millennials are being lured by major cities, but what will attract them to your city? The 2016 Mayflower Mover Insights study discovered where and why millennials are moving. With one in five millennials moving in the past year, these insights may be the difference between your city seeing the headlights or taillights of a Mayflower moving truck. 
Of millennials who have moved, nearly half identified love as a reason for moving. Millennials identified experiences as important for relocating, with food and restaurants as a top priority. Millennials continue to be enamored by urban centers, with nearly six in ten wanting to live in or near a big city. Melissa Sullivan, director of marketing, Mayflower. Our Mayflower agents across the country are moving millennials as they begin new chapters of their lives, and many agents report new careers, relationships, and experiences as drivers of this generation's moves. Findings from our study help us analyze where our customers move and why they are moving. For moving tips, visit Mayflower.com. I'm Bob Dorigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. A monkey, an animal rights organization, and a primatologist walk into a federal court to sue for infringement of the monkey's claimed copyright. Sounds like a joke, right? But it's actually a line from a real court document filed by a lawyer for a photographer who was sued last year by the group People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. To make a long story short, a monkey in Indonesia took a picture of himself using a camera that a nature photographer had left unattended. It was hilarious, and the monkey's selfie went viral. Unfortunately, that's when the real monkey business started, and PETA sued the photographer. It claimed that the monkey, not him, should get any money generated by the photo. Let's be fair. I know our legal system sometimes seems like it's gone bananas, but I'm happy to say that a federal judge has just issued a tentative ruling upholding common sense. He says that a monkey can't own a copyright. PETA, however, pledges to keep fighting. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Hello, I'm Linda Gray. And I lost my mother and a dear friend to Alzheimer's disease. Nearly two-thirds of the five and a half million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's are women. Join the fight to help find treatments and cures for Alzheimer's faster by registering at brainhealthregistry.org. We collect vital research information online for free. Please do your part. I'm doing mine. Brainhealthregistry.org. It's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for a serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. So it's 30 years after the Chernobyl disaster, which was the largest nuclear disaster ever. And you know what's happening? Animals around the reactor in an area where people have been excluded, the animals are actually thriving. Even 30 years later, experts debate the extent of the damage done after the release of the radioactive material into the atmosphere. A large plume of highly radioactive fallout drifted over large parts of the Soviet Union and Europe. Estimates are that approximately 5,000 human deaths from radiation exposure can be attributed to the radiation, and 31 people died immediately after the accident from acute exposure. Now, in an area of about 10 square kilometers by the plant, 
conifers were killed by the radiation, but they started coming back the next year. But what we have here 30 years later is an experiment whereby we can see what happens to a forest and its animal inhabitants when the people leave. I want to welcome back to the show author, Professor Emeritus, University of Colorado at Boulder, Mark Beckoff. Mark, you have a special interest in this topic. What happened in Chernobyl? What happened in Chernobyl, of course, is just a tragedy, you know, just massive radiation spilling out all over and, you know, killing countless non-human animals and human animals. But what's really surprising is that some 30 years later, there are some populations of animals who were thriving and clearly weren't affected by the radiation and clearly there are no humans. So, you know, the deduction you can make is that these animals can do well without us around. So, Mark, whether the animals were sort of local and just eventually repopulated or sort of came in from areas that weren't severely affected, uh, the lesson is you've got 30 years and you've got almost no people around and that multiple populations are thriving. Yep. That, that's really the lesson, Peter. I mean, what's, what we're really seeing, like, I you know some of the data for the wolves are the best, but there are ungulates around, small mammals, and also some birds is that somehow these animals survived the nuclear holocaust and then they were able to live and reproduce. And like I said, I mean, when I first heard about this, I was absolutely shocked. I just thought it would be just, you know, in a sense, a forever wasteland. Yeah. But the bottom line lesson is that these animals can do quite well without us, which, which isn't really a mind blower, but um, it's just interesting to actually have a sort of experiment that shows that that's the case. Mark, aren't there other similar experiments that have happened uh, that support this? Yeah, there are places where, you know, biologists, field biologists have built, some call them exclusion fences, you know, basically, you know, basically it's to keep animals in and humans out, but, um, and shown that populations of animals will flourish without us being around. So, so the fact that they do well without us, like I said, is just not really so mind-blowing. I mean, what's really amazing is that somehow these animals were able to survive the nuclear holocaust and, and thrive, you know, and reproduce and have future generations who are reproducing. So, you know, combined with experiments where they put up these fences to keep, basically to keep humans out, and the Chernobyl, it, it really underscores the fact that humans are having a really negative effect. And, you know, this is called the Anthropocene. People call it the Anthropocene, the age of humanity. And, and I'm calling it the Anthropocene, the rage of humanity, because that's what it is, because we're losing species at, and habitats at an unprecedented rate. Um, two other examples where there seems to be increased biodiversity one is the no-fly zone um, between North and South Korea, and the other is outside of the Guantanamo's prisons, um, where once again, you know, there aren't a lot of human, there's not a lot of human activity. So, you know, combined with experiments, and then you have these more naturally occurring things uh, in, you know, they're not really, I suppose you might argue that they're natural, but you have these things happen where there aren't humans and you see animals thriving, it just underscores just the devastating 
effect that we're having on animals in the Anthropocene, you know, the age of humanity, or I call it the rage of humanity. Mark, what could you say further about something something in the middle where one might argue, well, we need to manage wild populations. Uh, we need to keep certain populations in check through legal hunting, for instance. Does this experiment impact on that argument? You know, it's always tricky because as a biologist, I mean, I'm an ethologist, but I do a lot of conservation work. There's often a blurry line between management and conservation. And so, you know, given the world today, we probably do have to do some management. The problem is, is the management usually is for turns out to be for the humans, not the non-human animals. And the other aspect of management is often killing one species to save another species. Right. And so I don't, I'm, I'm against that totally. So because we're such a human-dominated world and we're becoming an increasingly human-dominated world, then we do have to step in somehow. But I would like to see us step in to work for the animals, not the human, work for the non-human animals, not the human animals. And, you know, frankly, there's more and more people who are taking that approach, but still there's people out there to manage, you know, like, the, so there was this egregious study done in Canada where almost 900 wolves were killed and, you know, they were saying they were killing them, you know, to save an endangered um, deer species a caribou species. But in fact, what came out was they were managing and killing the wolves for the timber industry. So the conservation aspects of that saving, you know, a species of ungulate by killing the wolves is just a big lie. And so that's why I'm always very cautious when people say we have to manage because management almost invariably is synonymous with killing. Very interesting. Mark Beckoff, thank you so much. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.